Well, I am glad to be here. I hope you are too. Um, welcome to Crew again. Hopefully you feel welcome. You're, you're glad you're here. Uh, one thing you're going to hear about later that was briefly mentioned is there's a nunch. Now we can talk about that word because it has no definition. But there is a nunch tonight. It's a great opportunity to learn all kinds of great things about summer missions opportunities. So I don't know if you're thinking about going on summer missions or not. And it's okay if you're not. Come get some breakfast. You know what I'm saying? Come eat some food. So I want to invite you to come. And while you're there, chat with a few folks and see God. ask the question, God, what do you want to do with my summer? Because at the end of the day, what really matters is what does God want us to do with our summer? And we just need to say yes. And we'll actually talk about saying yes here a little bit tonight. So as I get started... Uh, oh, by the way, thanks for the introduction. How about, that? How about that introduction? Man, you got more numbers about my life during that introduction. You know, I, it makes sense. I was an engineer, so that, you know, we just got to get all the numbers out there. But a missionary to the Middle East, a country to remain unnamed, emailed the other day about his morning. His six-year-old son, who is the youngest of three, made an announcement at the breakfast table. When I grow up, I want to be a parent. Oh, yeah? Well, why do you want to be a parent? Because the parent gets to tell everybody else what to do in the family. <laughs> then after a long pause, he said, actually, when I grow up, I want to be God. Because he gets to tell everybody what to do. <laughs> it's a little funny, right? I agree. It's a little funny. Yet I think... We all know that this little boy isn't unique in his desires, right? You know, lots of kids bemoan their parents telling them what to do and can't wait to grow up. Perhaps for you, even one of the reasons you wanted to come to college is so you could do what you want. You know, make your own decisions. Eat what you want, sleep when you want, date who you want, befriend who you want to befriend, study or not, right? It's up to you. Well, we all want that, I think. I think there's definitely, one thing that's great about college is there definitely is an increased freedom when we come to school. I still remember, actually I still cherish and relish the days of my freshman year where I'd come back about two in the afternoon after a couple classes, you know. I got up for that 7.30 in the snow with my hoodie on. I'd get back at two, and I'd come, go into my room, I would take, turn my stereo up to about nine, throw on some Judas Priest, lay on the carpet, and sleep for about two hours. I mean, it was so sweet. You know, my wife says she bets my neighbors really loved me. Um, the reality is, though, there is something in all of us that craves independence. We resent authority, especially when it places restrictions or demands on our life. We want to make our own decisions, good or bad, to do what we want without anybody else telling us what to do. We want to be master of our own life. Well, tonight we're going to look at that independent tendency in our lives in light of what Scripture teaches. So we're going to be in the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. So if you want to go ahead and start going there. But what we're doing tonight, we're going to continue our series, Make It Count. Living purposefully in light of eternity. 
A couple weeks ago, Julie helped us get this thing going, right? She helped us understand that the eternal God has created us as eternal beings and invited us to live for eternal purposes. She shared that if you depict time as a line that stretches from eternity past to eternity future, then our 80 80 years or so on that line would be a dot, a breath, a dust mite, if you will. Yet we all want our lives to matter. And that Jesus came to redeem us so we could enjoy eternity with him. And even more, to give us eternal purpose. See, we can squander our life for the pleasures and the accomplishments of the dot. Or we can invest our dot in things that will last forever. And then last week, Eric helped us out, right? He taught us about what? Eternal earthly treasures and heavenly treasures. He explained we can run after these earthly treasures and the rewards will be fleeting at best. Or we can trust God with our life and lay up treasures in heaven that are infinitely satisfying and we can enjoy forever. Well, shortly before the end of Jesus' earthly life, he went and sat down at the Mount of Olives, a little hill across the valley from the great city of Jerusalem. And as he sat there, the disciples came to him privately to ask him some questions. And among those was, what will be the sign of your coming and the close of the age? Well, Jesus' answer to this question is captured in chapters 24 and 25 of the book of Matthew. It's known to scholars as the Olivet Discourse. And it's the foundational teaching for all we know about Jesus coming back to earth. And in the midst of this pre-death discourse, Jesus shares a parable about a man going on a journey that I suggest is essential for us to make it count. So let's go to Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. For it, the kingdom of heaven, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them with his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. He who received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who received two talents made two talents more. But he who had received one talent went, dug in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. He who had received five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And so also the one who had two talents came forward and said, Master, you delivered to me two talents, and I have made two more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will fate set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had received one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went, and I hid your talent in the ground. 
Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sowed and gathered where I had no seed, where I had not scattered seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has more, more, has much, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Father God, we trust you for this night. We thank you for the chance to be here. We thank you for your word. God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts tonight will be acceptable to you and honoring to you. Amen. So the parable opens with a man going on a journey. He's not going to be around, so he entrusts his property to to three of his servants. And this parable is to illustrate the kingdom of heaven. The man is representative of Jesus, who is about to go away on a long journey, his impending death. The servants are his disciples. The man entrusts five talents to one servant, two talents to another, and one talent to the last. Now, a talent is a sizable amount of money. One talent was equal to about 20 years' wages for a laborer. So in our culture, we could say a laborer makes at least $30,000 a year. So if you got one talent, that guy was being entrusted with $600,000. Right? The guy with two talents, $1.2 million. Five talents, at least $3 million. So each servant was entrusted with a very significant amount of money. Yet each of them was entrusted with a different amount, each according to his ability. As disciples of Jesus, we too are entrusted with different things. Heritage, personality, money, education, family, friends, responsibilities. Some entrusted with more, some are entrusted with less, each according to their ability. And at the same time, we are entrusted with, what we're entrusted with is significant and rightly chosen by the master. Well, the servant entrusted with five and two talents immediately went to work, trading and make to make more money with the money they were entrusted. And over time, each doubled their investment. The servant with one talent dug a hole in the ground and buried his master's money. Then a long time later, the master returned. He called to his servant, said, Come, report, tell me how you utilized what you were given. Jesus, too, will come back to account for what he's entrusted to his disciples. Earlier in this discourse, he informed his disciples that no one but God the Father knows when Jesus will return. And here he informs them that it will be a long time. But whenever he does return, he will require an accounting of how his servants utilized what they were given. So the servant who received five talents came forward and reported, Master, you delivered me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. 
You have been faithful over a little. I will entrust you with much. Enter into the joy of your master. You can just see the smile on the master's face, his joy in his servant. What a sweet response, right? The master affirms the servant, calling him good and faithful. The master promises even greater opportunity. That $3 million is little compared to what he will be entrusted with. And finally, the master invites the servant to enter into the master's joy. He gets to be with the master and experience the joy of the master with him. Jesus is telling us that this is what we can expect if we are faithful servants. If we use well what we are given, we can expect Jesus' affirmation when he returns. We'll be entrusted with much. We will get to be with Jesus and experience his joy. The one who doubled two talents got, received the same response. And then the servant entrusted with one talent came forward. He said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you do not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and went and hid your talent in your ground, in the ground. Here, have what is yours. This servant obviously distrusted his master. He knew him to be hard. Perhaps you can sense the servant's resentment and bitterness. He has justified his decision to bury his master's money. Here, have what is yours. This third servant is dealing with that independent nature in all of us. He doesn't want to be a servant. Who is this guy to tell me what to do? Why should I labor for him? Multiply his money. I'm just as good as him. And, if he, and, that, and he buries his money, neglecting his responsibility, and lives for himself. The truth is, there is, not, there is much about this servant I actually think our culture would affirm and even celebrate. We reject the idea of servitude in our culture, don't we? We encourage independence. Our nation was founded on being independent from British tyranny. We celebrate freedom. And we also fight for the freedom of slaves. We believe every person should be able to choose their own destiny and be given equal opportunity. Yet Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like the relationship between masters and servants, literally slaves. This is a hard teaching. And how can we embrace this? Is not freedom from subjection a fundamental human right? And my mind has whirled on this this week, and I'm, I'm sure we can't discuss this justly in our short time tonight, but you know, as a people, we've concluded it's abhorrible for any one person to have complete control over another. We've seen how quickly and extremely the one in power can abuse the one enslaved. Our sinful nature lusts for power and our tendency is to abuse the power we have over others for our own benefit, regardless of the harm it causes them. You know, in our, in our crowd, we, I'm sure we have people that have family, have a heritage of people who have been enslaved. Others have seen news stories of present-day slavery kept secret in our own country. Others have seen or heard of slavery around the world that seems to go unchecked. 
we rightly fight to end slavery around the world. In almost all cases, it has resulted in the dehumanizing of those enslaved. And this type of slavery dishonors God and his creation. But we've also concluded that individual freedom is not without limit. There's a proper role for government to ensure safety of all by limiting the freedom of the individual. We're subject to authority. I can't drive on the wrong side of the road endangering others without consequence. I can't use my power to abuse someone else or place them in captivity without consequence. And this is good. So as a society, we both affirm that the individual is not to be completely subject to another individual's control. Right? People are not property. And that we've also affirmed that all individuals are subject to the good of the community, typically established by the government. Now, obviously, I haven't given this conversation justice. But at the same time, in light of our time tonight, maybe I've gone too far down this trail. But why? Why do I do this? My mind's been whirling. I think this is where we're at. The reality is I think we find the idea of a servant very, very difficult. It grates our core. To dismiss the idea of being a servant seems natural. It's even right. Why would we consider it? It's such a wrong concept. Yet this is exactly what Jesus is calling us to be. A faithful servant. To give up our independence, our right to serve ourselves and make ourselves happy. To willingly submit ourselves to the master. To recognize he has rightful authority over our lives. And we're to faithfully serve him and his purposes. But like many of us, the third servant in our parable has rejected his responsibility as a servant. Buried the money and lived for himself. And that probably worked for him for a while while the master was away, right? His life was probably even easier than those who worked really dutifully to make good use of the master's money. But now the master's back. And how does he respond to the servant? You wicked and slothful servant. Condemnation. The servant is called wicked and lazy. You see, this servant ignored the fact that his master had provided for him. He trusted him what he'd given him a place to live, food to eat, meaningful work to do. The man was entrusted with $600,000. You know, that's no small thing. Excuse me. Yet the servant rejects his master's authority and his responsibility. He rebels at being a servant. He's unwilling to serve another. He squanders his opportunity by burying his talent in the ground. For us to take what God has entrusted to us and squander it on ourselves is a grievous sin. He is our creator. He's given us life. He's given us time and money, opportunities. He's given us education and proximity to other people. To some, he's entrusted significant hardships and challenges. To others, he's given great blessings. To many of us, he's given both. But all we have is from God. And it's been entrusted to us to be used for the master, to build his kingdom. And to squander it on ourselves is rebellion. 
It's wicked and lazy. The master in our parable then takes the talent from the last servant and gives it to the one who has ten and declares this servant to be worthless. Cast him out into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. The consequences of this servant squandering his opportunity and rejecting his master's authority is that he's stripped of all the master had provided him. He's cast out of the master's presence and protection to a life filled with grief, anguish, and sorrow. So it will be for all who fail to do good and use rightly what God has entrusted to us. D.A. Carson comments, it will result in not only the loss of neglected resources, but in rejection by the master, banishment from his presence, tears and gnashing of teeth. This, my friends, is a sobering teaching. All of us can probably look at our lives and see our unfaithfulness. We've neglected the master's work for the the pursuit for the sake of our own pursuits. We have been the unfaithful servant subject to the master's condemnation of wicked, lazy, worthless. Jesus closes this discourse on his return, on his return with this statement in Matthew 26 2. He says, you know that two days from now the Passover is coming. And the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. The next night, after a final meal with his disciples, Jesus leads them again back to this Mount of Olives. And we pick up the story in Matthew 26, verse 39. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, My father... If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. In verse 42, again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Verse 44, so leaving them again, he went away a third time, praying and saying the same words again. Jesus was desperate to find another way. He prayed so earnestly that his great, his, he sweat like great drops of blood that fell to the ground. Yet in the midst of that turmoil, Jesus submitted himself to the Father. He said, your will be done. Jesus became the perfect, faithful servant. Not rebelling against his master, not exerting his independence, but submitting himself to the Father. He was perfectly obedient. So the master became a servant and was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He satisfied the requirement of obedience. He died on the cross, giving himself to pay for our disobedience. He who knew no sin became sin. The perfect, faithful servant became the wicked, worthless servant. Why? That he might rescue us. The unfaithful, the wicked, the worthless. How? 
Jesus bore all sin and satisfied God's wrath. And having satisfied the punishment for sin, he rose from the grave, defeating death itself. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. To all who receive Jesus, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus said, I came that you might have life, and you might have it abundantly. That's right. You see, Jesus is not the hard, vengeful master seeking to take advantage of you. No, he is not the slave owner who abuses his servants for his own pleasure and gain while stripping them of their humanity. No, Jesus is the good master who lays down his life for our good, who frees us from desperation and unsatisfying pursuits, who provides our needs, loves unconditionally and without limitation, and gives opportunity to impact eternity. He is the good master. Excuse me. Having been entrusted with this good news, this gospel, we have a choice. We can choose to live independent of God, throwing off his rightful rule of master, reject his work on our behalf, whether we distrust his goodness or reject the idea of servitude, or we just want to go our own way. We are burying what Jesus has done for us in the ground. We are the wicked and worthless servant who will be thrown into outer darkness. In God's presence, and even the comfort of others will be stripped of us and there will be great anguish and sorrow. Or we can make good use of what Jesus has done for us. We can believe his payment was sufficient for us, repent of our rebellion, embrace and submit to God's rightful rule in our lives. We will enter the joy of our master. Upon faith in Christ, we'll also receive freedom from rebellion. Galatians 5.24 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have, been crucified, have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. We may still struggle with the thoughts of living for ourselves, but those thoughts no longer rule us. Their power and authority is destroyed. We're given the power to submit to God's authority. And as we grow in relationship with Jesus, we discover our greatest delights and joys come from him. And faithfully living for him and his kingdom brings unparalleled purpose. Friends, we long for joy. We long for purpose. We want our lives to matter. That comes when we submit our lives to the good master. This parable was given to us so that we would know the good master has entrusted us with much. And when he returns, he will reward the faithful servant and cast out the worthless. So what does that look like in our lives, right? Well, it starts with what we've been talking about. It starts with our heart. We have to choose to trust the good master and submit our life to him. Then we live that out by utilizing all he's given us for his purposes. Investing in those things that are eternal. Do you remember what Julie told us? God, his word, and people. 
Invest your time, my friends, in getting to know your master. Read the Bible and learn from who he is and what he desires. Talk to him. Share your life with him. Affirm your faith. Praise him. Scripture repeatedly encourages us to draw near. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. God says he loves the world, desires that all should come to repentance, and commands us to love others and make disciples of all nations. These are the eternal things we get to invest our lives in. Pray for these things. Faithfully ask God to do what's on his heart. You know, pray for people to come to repentance. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Invest time praying for others who will repent of sin and place their faith in Jesus. You'll pray for people in your class. Pray for people in your dorm. Pray for your family. Pray for specific people. And you know what? I'm actually really grateful. One of the things that has been a blessing to me this year is seeing some of you living this out. Some of you meet every morning to pray. Others of you are praying for each person on your dorm floor two to three times a week. I know some of you are meeting weekly with others in your ministry area to pray. Some of you are walking around a ministry area you want to see God do something in to ask him to work. Asking God will draw men and women to himself. Way to go. Way to go. You know, we can also help other people discover who God is. Spend time with people who don't know Jesus. Ask good questions. Care for them. Ask them, hey, can I share with you my spiritual journey? And look for opportunities that share about the good news of Jesus' provision. You can help others grow in a relationship with God and live out who God created them to be. Pass along to others what you've learned. This is called discipleship. We're actually going to talk more about that in a couple weeks, so I'm sure I'm short on time, so we'll stop right there. But um, invest your money in God's purposes. You can provide a meal for someone in need, buy a book for a student who can't afford them this semester, Give to the Lord at your local church or invest in the ministry of a missionary. Help someone pay for a conference or buy a Bible, provide a ride. You can bring snacks to your small group, right? People like to eat. Or better yet, when a bunch of people on your floor are staying up late studying because it's a busy week, what if you just impromptu provided food as a way to love on them? Use your money for God's purposes. And throughout, I want to challenge you with this. Throughout your life, what if you lived on a missionary budget Providing for the needs of those in your family, whatever your income. And all the rest that you have that God provides for you, you invested in his kingdom. You know what? You wouldn't believe how much fun that is. That is just thinking fun to be able to take what God's given you and see lives change all over the globe. Be a faithful servant with your hardships. That's one of those things we look over, one of those things we bemoan, we think... This is sucks, right? Well, a friend of mine, Meg, suffers from chronic and debilitating illness. She shared a blog this week about how she's challenged and is seeking to live as a faithful servant, trusting her illness is from the Lord and for his glory. So I actually shared that on my Facebook page. So if, if you're not sure what that looks like or how to wrestle with that, go check out my Facebook page, Find Meg's Story. It's challenging. It's encouraged me and my wife this week as we deal with hard things. Be a faithful servant with your hardship. Invest your education in God's purposes. Listen to the Lord on how he wants you to invest this education you got. 
You know, be the best in your field without neglecting the Lord and other responsibilities. Teaching is a big major here, right? Be a great teacher. Help the kids you serve develop the skills they need. Build their self-esteem. Help them develop friendships. Help them know Jesus. You know, and maybe, maybe the Lord doesn't just want you to be an excellent teacher, but he wants you to be an excellent teacher in a place of great need. Many inner city schools are desperate for good teachers. Many inner cities are desperate for male role models. So fellas, if you got a passion for teaching, imagine what could happen if you take that passion and go into an inner city school and invest in students. Wow. Maybe you're in business. Be ethical. Honor the people you work with. Be successful. Create jobs so people can provide for their families. You know, there's a company down around the Indy area called IMMI. I can't tell you their whole story, but I'll briefly tell you that they are focused on their business being for the glory of God. They provide services for their, for their employees. There's Bible study. They actually get to take time during work to have a Bible study. They look to help people connect with Jesus and provide counseling if they want it. They've also set up this, this fund. They're taking the profits of their company and they've established this fund to make a difference around the world. And they invite employees to be the board on this Word and Deed Foundation board. And they fund ministries all over the globe. They're utilizing their business for the sake of God's glory. Perhaps even the Lord would have you invest your career in being a missionary. Focusing your day on helping people know and follow Jesus. It's a good job, let me tell you. Well, these are just some examples. Living out specific things God instructs us as a faithful servant. At the heart of it all, being a faithful servant is saying yes to Jesus. Whatever he asks, does he want you to go on a mission this summer? Say yes. Does he want you to go home and help your friends and family know who Jesus is? Say yes. Does he want you to live somewhere specifically for the sake of people knowing Jesus? Say yes, because Jesus, because of Jesus, you can be a faithful servant. Saying yes to Jesus, whatever he asks, with all your life, for the rest of your life, with all you have. My friends, this will be hard at times, but Lord, make this true of us, right? God, make us faithful servants, but it's going to be costly, but it's going to be worth it. It is so worth it, my friends. We get Jesus' affirmation. We get his provision. We get eternal purpose, and we get his joy. And most of all, as faithful servants, we get Jesus. Intimate relationship with our creator, redeemer, and master, the lover of our soul. So I invite you. Enter the joy of your master. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that you are here. We thank you for your word. We confess we have fallen short. We have sought the things of this world. We've lived for ourselves. Thank you, master, that you became the good and faithful servant, perfectly obedient, and died on a cross. Thank you, master, that you became 
the wicked and worthless servant on our behalf. You bore our punishment. Oh, God, grant us faith. Thank you that you died for us, that we might have life, that we might become a good and faithful servant. So fill us now, Holy Spirit. Would it be true of us that we would live for you and not for ourselves? That we, we would be a good servant with all we have, that we would say yes to you, whatever you ask, with all we have for the rest of our lives. For your glory. Thank you that you will come back. No matter how long the delay, you will come back and reward us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you, Father. Amen.